So, scandal is not an exact science, but on a scale of nothing burger to worse than Watergate, the information in the House Intelligence Committee FISA memo comes in at about a seven. We'll talk about that later, but for now, suffice it to say, if this sort of thing had gone on under President Trump or even under President George W. Bush, the New York Times, a former newspaper, would have announced the news in front page headlines so large it would have taken two strong men just to carry the letters to the press room. An enormous collection of Times reportage on the subject with a black cover and some title like The Path to Tyranny would have been on the bookstore shelves within the month. Instead, America's news centers, from 42nd Street in Manhattan all the way to 57th Street in Manhattan, did everything within their power to suppress, taint, and minimize the impact of the memo even before they knew what was in it. Some of us who still go to the movies just sat through Steven Spielberg's The Post, a two-hour left-wing talking point about how brave The Washington Post was when it defied President Nixon's concerns over national security in order to expose government malfeasance by publishing the Pentagon Papers. Yet now, news outlets plead to keep secrets to keep secrets in the name of national security and warn us, in the satirical words of a headline in The Onion, that the memo could undermine our faith in massive, unaccountable government secret agencies. And after decades of listening to leftists scree about J. Edgar Hoover's unjustified wiretapping, the leftist media is now telling us that a little unjustified FBI wiretapping now and again is a nothing burger. In short, a press that should on principle be hungry for every piece of information that might be damning to the powerful of every stripe has made it clear that they do not want you to know what they do not want to know themselves. The truth is, both the memo itself and the press's unforgivable lack of curiosity about the memo are part of a much bigger scandal within a scandal. The memo represents just one more jigsaw piece in a picture of the Obama administration as a Chicago-style Democratic machine rife with cronyism and abuse of power, a machine to which the media closed its eyes. We know this. It's not conjecture. We know that Obama's IRS made successful efforts to silence conservative voices during the president's re-election campaign. We knew, know that the IRS also targeted Jewish groups that supported Israel. We know that Obama's secretary of state lied to cover up the disaster in Benghazi. His attorney general held a secret powwow with Bill Clinton while his wife was under investigation. And now we begin to learn that the Obama Justice Department may have colluded with the Democrats' campaign in order to spy on the Republicans. And all this went on while journalists kowtowed to, flattered, and ultimately raved about the administration being scandal-free. For eight years, those of us who asked with the ancient Roman poet Juvenal, who will guard the guardians, were answered by the self-styled heroes of journalistic truth-telling, not us. That's the real scandal here, and it's finally beginning to come out. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Did anybody? No, people did watch the Super Bowl. I mean, that was a great, it was a wonderful, wonderful game. Everybody stood for the national anthem, Pink singing the national anthem. And, you know, uh, Rob was pointing out to me that the Philadelphia Phillies were the only team 
the Philadelphia Eagles were the only team that didn't ever protest the the uh, flag, didn't ever uh, kneel for the national anthem, and they of course won. And then if, then we had Nick Foles coming on afterwards, and he is a guy who wants to be a pastor after he's finishing finished uh, being a quarterback and the winning quarterback for the Eagles. And he came on and started singing the praises of Jesus. Apparently, I mean, no, Foles was on the uh, on the brink of quitting. He was just gonna. He was really just a replacement quarterback. And instead, now he's got a Super Bowl ring. Amazing. The last guy who did that was Tim Tebow, right? The last guy who came back from nowhere to win the Super Bowl is Tim Tebow. A little something, a little magic in this Jesus juice. What's that? Didn't Tebow win that first the Super Bowl he was in? He won a playoff game. He was never in a Super Bowl. Did Tebow not make it into the bowl? Are you sure? He was in the national championship in college. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I, I will, like, I just want to check this. Did T Tim Tebow never won the Super Bowl? Nope. I'm just misremembering that. That's awful. Not as a starting quarterback, at least. Yeah, that's that's awful that I misremember that. That's terrible. Maybe not. Geez, I, I just had that memory of him winning a, a Super Bowl. He won, I think, two college championships. Ah, never mind, never mind. Now I've, it ruins my entire point. But <laughs> I think the thing is true. Is, you know, it's terrible when your memory conflates stuff like that. Uh, but, but the thing is, the, the whole point that I was trying to make was that the entire tenor of the Super Bowl was patriotic, full of religion. And it's like, if you don't think that Donald Trump is changing our culture and chasing these guys back into the corners and the, and the rat holes where they belong, he is. It is really a big difference. You may have noticed also that it's February, which is the shortest month of the year, which means you haven't got a lot of time if you want to get life insurance uh, in February or something. <laughs> the, the thing is, you want to get life insurance before you need the life insurance. That's the important thing. So you want to get it quick. And the way to get it quick is by using policygenius.com because policygenius is an easy way to compare and buy life insurance online. They let you compare quotes in minutes, which saves you precious hours of this very short month. And they save you money too. In fact, Policy Genius has helped over 4 million people shop for insurance and placed over 20 billion dollars in coverage. And they don't just insure life, they insure all the stuff that comes with life. You can compare health insurance, disability insurance, pet insurance, and renter's insurance. And again, nobody will bug you. There's no sales pitch or anything. You just get to look at it online and compare the prices and save money and time. So, there's no sales pressure, zero hassle. You can get quotes in five minutes, policygenius.com, because if you need life insurance, it shouldn't take a lifetime to get it, which of course would get rid of the entire reason for having it. So, so am I, now do we have no sound? Is that, the sound, that clips are back, thank heavens. I, was, I thought I was gonna have to talk through this entire show. Uh, so let's talk about this FISA memo. We never got a chance after its release, what it tells us, what it doesn't tell us. Uh, so many people, hyping it on the right, but also these people running it down on the left, the press running it down on the left, which is unbelievable. What's in it? It says the FBI and the Justice Department, if the memo is true, uh, they use this Steele dossier, this oppo research that was paid for by the DNC and Hillary Clinton. And this this talking point again, that it was originally paid for by the Free Beacon is not true. The Free Beacon hired Fusion GPS, but they had nothing to do with the Steele dossier, which only came in after the Democrats hired these people. So they use this to get a FISA warrant to spy on an American citizen, Carter Page. Now, Carter Page is a Russian sympathizer. He got into trouble with the feds before because he was hanging out in Russia with a guy who later became a spy. He was investigated. He was never charged with anything. And so we don't know whether he's a dirty guy or not, but they were spying on him. And he had just left about a month before. He had just left his volunteer role 
in the Trump campaign, okay? So they wanted to spy on this guy, and he'd recently left the Trump campaign, and they did not tell the FISA court, according to the memo, they did not tell the FISA court that this dossier was paid for by the DNC, and they didn't tell him that it was, in the using the words of James Comey, salacious and unverified. And this is a violation. It's a violation, according to Cheryl Atkinson, the uh, investigative reporter, it's a violation of the FBI's own procedures. The FBI has something called the Woods proce Procedures, which are strict rules requiring that each and every fact presented in an FBI request to electronically spy on a U.S. citizen be extreme vetted for accuracy and presented to the court only if verified, and for obvious reasons, right? The FISA, FISA courts don't turn down that many applications for warrants. <laughs> so we, in, we have to trust our government, we have to trust our government to only ask to spy on Americans when they might be dangerous agents of, of a foreign government. That's the only time. The thing is, now this, this, this memo doesn't necessarily uh, taint Robert Mueller's investigation into the Russian collusion idea, although why there's a special counsel doing investigation into something that's not a crime, I don't know. But it doesn't necessarily taint that. In the memo, it does say that this guy, Papadopoulos, was the thing that jump-started the memo. He was in Australia. He got drunk. He told some people that the Russians had emails damaging to the Hillary Clinton campaign. That, of course, turned out to be uh, partially true because they had... because. Uh, Podesta had given them, uh, they they fish, fished him for his um, for his password, so they'd gotten in. And that's what's jump-started the campaign. But, but, th now, this is not in the memo, but it's very hard to believe that they went after Carter Page as their main target here. The guy is a nobody. He's not some big guy that they were going to have some big investigation of. It, it really does seem, it's a, it's a fair conjecture, let's put it this way, that they went after Carter Page to tap into the Trump campaign. If that turns out to be true, and we don't know that yet, if that turns out to be true, then the scandal meter goes into the red zone. So, so those are what, that's what we have, right? In any world, in any world, every journalist would be on top of this, right? Every one of them would be salivating. Let's get the more information. Let's find out where this goes. How far did this go? Did they? Did the Democrats use the federal government? Oh my goodness, they would be saying in this make-believe world, did the Democrats use the federal government to bug a Republican presidential campaign? That would almost be like colluding with the Russians. I'd be worse than colluding with the Russians. That would truly be a scandal. So every red-blooded reporter is out there trying to get the... Let's just have a montage. We have a montage here that comes from Grabian of the press. I mean, these are just Democrat talking points coming out of the faces of the press about after this memo is released. This is cut five. I could tell you from reading this memo and consulting with a wide range of experts... It's a dud. This memo is a dud. Nothing. A dud. But it is nothing. A nothing burger. And less interesting about this memo is what, what is in it. It's pretty much a nothing burger. A nothing burger. Quote, dishonest, misleading, partisan nothing burger. The only thing I fear from this memo, because I think it's really been a huge dud. Uh, some of the GOP uh, Tea Party members were out there saying that this is the most vile thing they'd ever seen. Uh, and it's a big dud. Uh, it's a dud. Unfortunately, it fell flat yesterday, much, I think, to the chagrin of the president. This memo was a complete dud. <laughs> Talk about collusion. There's a Democrat party colluding with the press. Here's, here's one I just love. I mean, I, what I wonder when I watch this is, do they hear themselves? Do they think we don't hear them? Do they think we're stupid? Yes, they do. They must think we're stupid. Here's George Snuffleupagus 
the Clinton hack, I love you, Hillary Clinton hack, running this panel, listen to the logic of this panel, that basically by releasing this memo, by giving the, the people information, they are, we're all now working for Putin. <laughs> listen to this. When you think about the investment that Vladimir Putin made in interfering, interfering in our elections, it is paying off every day in spades. He, he won the Super Bowl. He really, Putin has won the Super Bowl here. Exactly what he wanted to happen in this country, this discord, this mistrust of institutions is exactly why they operate this way. So for a year, a year, they do nothing but report on this story and bring, and they know the people don't care. The people don't care. The people are, you know, at home going, hey, there's more money in my paycheck. Hey, I have a job. Hey, this is kind of good. Things are going well. They know the people don't care. They pull them. Nobody is talking about this Russia investigation. These guys do it. They, they serve Vladimir Putin every day by doing this. And then when somebody says, oh, and by the way, the collusion was between the Democrats and the Ru Russians. It's like, I, you're working for Putin. You, and they think, but what I love about them is I always compare them to the last scene in Singing in the Rain, the old musical, where the woman is singing and to get, she's a nasty woman and she's actually dubbing the woman who's singing behind the curtain and they open the curtain so the audience can see that this woman is a total fake. The press, this has happened to the press. The curtain is open. We can all see it. They just haven't looked behind them yet to realize that we see the Democrat Party standing behind them while they mouth the words. All right, but before we go, I love them. I love them. They're, they're providing the comedy. You know, when you think about this in the right way, what is happening is the boil of the corrupt Obama administration is being lanced and it's all coming out. So it has this feeling of like, yuck, there's all this stuff coming out. But it's actually a good thing. It's a positive thing for the republic. Valentine's Day is coming. And again, this is a short month, so it comes very quickly. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Valentine's Day will come very quickly. And it comes on Ash Wednesday. So you're going to be in church because that's an obligatory church uh, visit you have to make. So you're not going to have time at the last minute to get your girlfriend or wife Flowers, you know, so you got to use 1-800-Flowers. You do not want, you do not want Valentine's Day to pass and come home and say, look, honey, I have a ash cross on my head. And she's like, uh, yeah, because you're still going to hell because you didn't get me flowers. So you want to go to 1-800-Flowers.com. 1-800-Flowers. I always, I use them because they have my back. I know that even at the last minute, I can go ahead. But if you plan ahead, see, Right now, you can get 18 enchanted roses for only $29.99. That's a great deal. You may say, if you're a guy, you're probably saying, what's an enchanted rose? Is that where if the last leaf falls off, I have to be a beast forever? No, it's those, they're very beautiful pink and red roses. You get 18 of them for only $29.99, an amazing offer from 1-800-Flowers. This is a beautiful bouquet uh, featuring radiant pink and red roses. And yes, I know I can't pronounce the word bouquet. <laughs> I always do that. So it's roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak. They're shipped overnight to ensure freshness and her delight. 18 Enchanted Roses for only $29.99. To do this, to get this, uh, this deal, you go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, and enter code Claven. And you may say, well, how do I spell Valentine's Day? It's K-L-A-V as in Victor, A-N. Valentine's Day is almost here. Order today at 1-800-Flowers.com, code Claven. Use it. You will not only delight your wife or girlfriend, you will help keep us on the air, which is also very important, which will also delight your wife and girlfriend. My favorite of all these commentators trying to play down this memo, trying to pull us off the memo, 
were two of my favorites. One of them is this clown, Phil Mudd, who's a former CIA guy and is now a CNN operative. And his argument, his argument why we should not do this, we shouldn't expose the deep state because the deep state will kill us. So he comes on, this is Phil Mudd threatening the elected president of the United States with the deep state and saying, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't reveal this information because they're gonna hate, come after the president. So the FBI people, I'm gonna tell you, are ticked. And they're gonna be saying, I guarantee it, you think you can push us off this because you can try to intimidate the director? You better think again, Mr. President. You've been around for 13 months. We've been around since 1908. I know how this game is going to be played. We're going to win. So maybe, maybe if you don't want us to feel there's a conspiracy, you shouldn't threaten elected officials with unelected deep state secret guys. You know, I mean, maybe that would make us all feel better. And Adam Schiff, the reliable McCarthyite Adam Schiff, boy, he, he is like a clock. He just goes off. You, you know, he just he just keeps the time perfectly. You just know he's going to go off with this stuff. And Democrats are so invested in this panic mongering. I, again, again, I, I know that the people, the people who believe them, the people who are in their camp, their base, I, I guess they're nodding and saying yes, yes, yes. But the rest of us, the people who can think, I'm not just talking about the base, the Trump base, I'm talking about the people in the middle on whom elections depend. They have, I have to believe that they are listening to this and going, rolling their eyes, give me a break. Here is Adam Schiff telling us if, if we publish information that lets us know about our government, the terrorists win. Uh, and sources of information are going to dry up. If you have a neighbor next door who's buying a lot of fertilizer, uh, and it seems odd to you because they don't have a yard, uh, are you going to think twice before calling the FBI? Because if they get a search warrant for your neighbor uh, and, and something is politicized, the political winds change, and there's an investigation, your identity is going to be revealed. Hmm. Um, because you really can't trust that this is going to be kept confidential anymore. There's a reason why this process has never been used before. But even so, the process presumed that the President of the United States, who has a veto over this, would be a responsible person who would have the interests of the nation at heart. Why would anybody need to buy fertilizer when we have Adam Schiff? <laughs> you got Adam Schiff talking. You got plenty of fertilizer. <laughs> so that's Schiff telling us if we find out what the deep state is doing, if we find out that there was malfeasance at the top of the Obama administration's Justice Department, which there was, we already know there was. We know he uh, corrupted the IRS. We know he corrupted state by making Hillary lie about Benghazi. We know he corrupted the Justice Department uh, by getting Hillary off the hook, and he lied to us about whether he knew about her email. We all we know this stuff. I mean, this is not me. You know, this is not like me just going off on Democrats. We know that this guy, I believe that Barack Obama slowly began to understand that the press would not touch him no matter what he did. If he had strangled Michelle in the Rose Garden, the press would have said a new trend, killing your wife. Isn't that what you know? I mean, really, the press was so in the tank for him. And as he realized that he just continually corrupted the government, turned it into the Chicago style machine. And as I always say, he didn't corrupt it for himself. He corrupted it for his ideology. He was not money corrupt. He was ideologically corrupt, and so is the press. The press is exactly the same. You know, campus reform, I love these guys. They go out and they do these funny interviews to show us how uh, a skewed campus people's minds are at colleges. Uh, they went out and did this video where they told people lines from Obama's State of the Union and then told them it was Trump's State of the Union. And this is not off the topic. I play this for, to make a point, but let's just listen for a minute. First, uh, talking about ISIS saying, quote, we need to call them what they are, killers and fanatics who have to be hunted down and destroyed. What's your thought on that? 
Well, first off, ISIS is fake. It's something the government made up so they can continue doing what they want to do, which is world domination. Donald Trump should, like, you know, mind his own business and, like, just focus on America because he's the president of the United States, not of the whole world. I feel like that's a very strong statement. Um, and when you say something like that, it kind of makes you, like, a target. Or if you're a threat to this country, we're going to get you for that. It's, it's just ridiculous. Next up. Uh, talking about the general uh, world stage, saying, quote, when you come after Americans, we come after you. It may take time, but we have long memories and our reach has no limit. What's your thought on that? Um, well, I, I don't think that's a good way of handling something. It's like he doesn't think before speaking and how, how it's going to offend a lot of people. He should be careful because there's other countries out in the world that has, like, you know, like automatic weapons and, you know, nuclear bombs. So when they think it's Trump speaking, they hate it, but it's actually Obama speaking. So with college kids, we can forgive this because, you know, they're worried about important things like taking drugs and having sex. But, but you know, this is the press. This is the press. They have, this is what they've been reduced to, and they were reduced to it when they were in college. Because, you know, it's a chain, of, it's a chain of, uh, of cause and effect that these colleges have been taken over by leftists. They teach them leftism. They then go out into the world and become reporters, and every time they hear something that comes out of Trump's mouth, it's bad. Everything they hear, every time they hear something that comes out of Obama's mouth, it's good. Plus, plus, with the press, and especially with the generation, I, ho I hope it'll be different. It's very hard to imagine it will be, but I hope it'll be different with the generation coming up. But there is a racial pathology with these people. The Democrats, I, I think I've quoted this before, Andrew Breitbart used to say that the Democrat Party was like a Malamar. It was a thin brown crust protecting this massive white center. And, and the, re the way they keep that brown crust, meaning African-Americans, the way they keep the, the black people so uh, protective is by manipulating our legitimate guilt over our historical, uh, you know, sins against black people, and those are real, and they manipulate our legitimate guilt to make us feel that anytime we criticize black people or a black person, we're doing something racist or wrong. So Trump goes out and he says, you should stand up for the flag. And they say, well, those players are black and they're complaining about some black. So that's racist. That's nonsense. If you're not racist, if you're not racist, you judge people strictly on the content of their character and on their actions. And if the actions are wrong, they're wrong. And if they're right, they're right. And certainly the press should just be eager for the truth. It, the press, being a reporter is what I call a meta-profession. Being an artist is a meta-profession. Sure, you have politics. Sure, you have opinions, but you leave them behind. Your purpose is to get the truth and to have an entire industry whose purpose... They've been telling us what heroes they are, how they're speaking truth to power. To have an entire industry essentially protecting uh, power from the truth is a shame. It really is. It's a scandal. You know, I didn't mention this. that We had a little uh, mess up at the beginning with the sound, so I got a little... Uh, fuzzed, and I forgot to mention that Michael Knowles is here to talk about the ads in the Super Bowl, and he will be coming up in just a moment. But first, first, if you are a lady and you want to get something for your husband or boyfriend on Valentine's Day, and you want it to be, you know, if you get him something nice and romantic, he will tell you he likes it, because that's how we roll. We lie to you, so you leave us alone. But <laughs> if you want to get him something that he'll really like, and I know if you're a great wife or girlfriend, you will, you will try man crates. I love man crates. I was, I was using man crates last night as I was drinking my way through the Super Bowl. I got the, the Scotch appreciation box. It's great. It's stuff for men. Doesn't matter what kind of man, man, if it's a sports fanatic or a home chef or an outdoorsman, they have a different thing for each one. And it's curated for that guy, like the one I got, which is scotch, has a little, uh, um, what do they call it? It's a little glass bottle and two, two glasses and wonderful uh, coasters and everything. 
It's really fun. It's really a, a fun th way to drink scotch, which just makes it a little bit more fun. And most importantly, it comes in a big crate that you have to pry open with a crowbar. That's the whole point. And if you get it wrapped for him, they wrap it in duct tape. So he's not only got to pry it open, he's got to rip off the duct tape. By the time he gets it, he won't care what's inside it. He'll have had so much fun. It's got thousands of five-star reviews, as you can imagine. You, there's like an NFL barware crate, a whiskey appreciation crate. That's the one I got. Jerky Heart or the Salami Bouquet. Uh, you want to get it for 5% off? Of course you do. Go to mancrates.com, mancrates.com slash Claven, and you will get it for 5% off. And of course, this brings up the question, how do you spell Claven? Well, it's K-L-A-V-A-N. No, e. uh, no, there's no e, e no E's in Claven, my friend. There is no, there's no I in team, and there is no E's in Claven. Uh, they don't offer a discount anywhere else. So if you want to get 5% off right now, go to mancrates.com slash Claven. Don't forget the Claven. It means that they know we sent them, we sent you, and they'll be happy, and they will come back on our show, which we love. Mancrates.com slash Claven. It will be a great gift for your boyfriend or husband. Michael Knowles is coming up, but but we have to say goodbye to YouTube and Facebook so you can listen to the great man on uh, or Knowles on uh, dailywire.com. But if you want to watch the show, you got to subscribe. So you, if you subscribe to the show, you just stay on dailywire.com. You can watch the whole show. You can be in the mailbag. We have a strange, I'm going to the prayer breakfast in Washington this week. So we have a strange week. Are we going to push the mailbag to Friday? Is that what we're going to do? If that's what you want, uh, I mean, we, can, we can do that or we can do it on Wednesday. Maybe we'll do it on Wednesday. We'll, we'll stick with Wednesday. I'm going to do, be doing it from uh, Washington, D.C., so get your uh, questions in, but you got to be a subscriber. It's 10 bucks a month or 100 lousy bucks for the entire year, plus you get the Leftist Tears Tumblr. Michael Knowles is coming up right after this. All right, have we got Knowles? Is he there? Uh, bringing him in by satellite. You are in Kentucky. Right? No, you're in the next room. <laughs> <laughs> right over in that broom closet. That's where I am. Coming in hot from a Shapiro, lot of Super Bowl barbecues. In Shapiro's broom closet. So uh, you, um, you you actually watched all the ads. Actually, I watched the ads this year. I don't always, but I watched the This ads. was one. You know, I, I don't really care for sports that much. I like baseball, but I don't really care yeah. for the Super Bowl. I was waiting, though. I was salivating for all the absurd, crazy, leftist, stupid ads, just like we got last year. Yeah. And I knew it was going to make a great fodder for for this segment. And then do you know what happened? <laughs> yeah. Do then Donald Trump won the culture. Uh, he did. Donald he Trump did. won. It was pretty good. The ads were pretty good. The game yep. was pretty good. Yep. The I, game was very good. I, yeah. This is the first assignment you've given me in, in years, I think, that wasn't just misery-inducing <laughs> and, and suicide-making. It was a complete mistake on my part. You know, if I, if I had known, believe me, I would have had you watch the puppy, the puppy Super Bowl, you know? <laughs> I think there were three kinds of ads. Last okay. year, there was just one kind of ad, and it was the anti-Trump ad. That's right. <laughs> it was all, every single one of them. That's right. That's right. You know, last year, I don't know if you remember this. I, I wrote out a little list of them. Last year, Budweiser ran an ad about how uh, great immigrants are. Coca-Cola did one of singing America the Beautiful in different languages, you know, to really stick it to Trump. Yeah. Audi made one about women driving race cars for sexism or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, Handmaid's Tale ran a commercial about Handmaid's Tale. Enough said. <laughs> uh, Airbnb made one about the travel ban. A shampoo company made one about how terrible Trump's hair is, on and on and on. This year, there were three kinds of ads. Political ads, 
slacktivist, hashtag couch surfing activist ads, <laughs> yeah. and and genuinely funny normal ads about yeah. the product. And the, the great irony here is the most political ad of the night was pro-Trump. Which one was It was, was pro-America. It was an ad by WeatherTech, and the WeatherTech yes. ad, the, it yes, actually ran that. a line. It said, just right on the screen, at WeatherTech, we built our new factory right here in America. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Yes, and it looked like they were building a wall. You know, it That's looked, right. It kind of like, looked like the wall going up. It very, and there was one where uh, Ronald Reagan was the last voice you heard on it. I can't remember which one that was. That's but right. They, yeah, that, so it, it we, was a very pro-American uh, thing. Very pro-American ads. And then yep. there were a couple. Coca-Cola assaulted uh, the English language. They <laughs> used the gender-neutral they. Do we have a cut of that? There's a Coke for he. And she. And her. And me. And them. There's a different Coke for all of us. No Coke for them, just <laughs> me and her and the, there's no, no them. But anyway, whatever, that's fine. It wasn't terribly anti-Trump. Yeah. Uh, T-Mobile did one with a bunch of babies. That was one of my least favorite. I mean, the, the Keanu Reeves ad was the stupidest ad, but that was my least favorite ad, that, that T-Mobile. It was so lazy. It was just a bunch of babies whining about equal pay or something. But even on that ad, CBS Money Watch gave it an F. The consensus wow. among the ad buyers and the ad makers yeah. was that it was a terrible ad. That basically was all of the political ads, the, the anti-Trump thing. They clearly learned something from last year. There was another class that seems political, but they're different, and those were the slacktivist ads. <laughs> that was Matt Damon telling you to buy a Stella Artois right. mug so that you can, I don't know, give, give water, water to a to billion yeah. people in India or something. <laughs> yeah. It's because, though, I've, I've been reading a number of studies about this. Millennials love vague humanitarian activism, <laughs> so they don't really, they don't like doing anything. No, you don't. Like, you don't want to go out to those African places because they don't have no fresh water. Icky. Just, they have all those the, icky the, poor people. Yeah, you buy the Stella Artois, and that's, <laughs> that'll, that'll get them some water, whoever they are. Somewhere there'll be water. It's like, could you pass me the bottle, please? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> while you're on your couch. The, but this study shows uh, half of millennials think CEOs have a responsibility to talk about social issues. Half right. of them are more likely to buy from activist CEOs. What, see, yeah, this, this explains something and actually makes me feel a little bit better about that T-Mobile ad because I sit and watch that T-Mobile ad and you know what I'm thinking? The, the whole ad was babies of different colors and you know we're all together in equal pay and everybody, some people may not like you. And I was sitting there thinking, who the hell are you talking to? You know, <laughs> you calling me a bigot, you little piece of garbage? You know, like, take your T-Mobile and eat it. <laughs> it's like, that's the way I'm feeling. But I guess I guess millennials are sitting there going, yeah, now I'll buy that phone because we're all one. Well, the the other know. thing T-Mobile could have said is, do you want to not have service in 80% of the country? <laughs> that ad didn't test as well in the no focus matter, group. No matter who you are, no matter who you are, you will not get service. We yes, treat everybody the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think yeah. that's it, though. I don't think that they were sitting saying, yes, we need to fight the social issue. I think they were talking to the ad makers who say, you know, 68% of millennials say a company's social and environmental commitment is extremely important when deciding uh, which products to buy. I wonder, they say that, I wonder how true that is when they actually go out and buy. That yeah. is, I, I wonder, but you yeah. do see all of these ads doing it. So uh, Tom's Shoes is the great example. This company that gives shoes to poor people or something. Yeah. And they make terrible shoes. The quality is awful. But <laughs> People buy them because they feel like they're they're doing uh, something activist. The crazy one. Did you see the Dodge Ram commercial? Oh my! That was that was embar I was embarrassed for that one. I mean, I, so I, where? How many? 
isn't there like a series of people who can stop that ad? You know, <laughs> I always wonder this one. You know, I've been in I've been in the movie development process with with scripts, and you know, there's all these people saying to you, "Oh, well, this doesn't make sense," and "Why is the gun over here when he left it in the kitchen?" and all this stuff. And then you actually go to the movies, and the movies their plots. You could drive a Dodge truck through their their plots, right. and you think, "Where were those people?" When I saw that Ram truck ad. I just thought, why didn't anybody stop this thing? Why didn't anybody read the speech that they I mean, we had, so they oh, well, had? Tell them what it is. Yeah, they I'm had sorry. Martin Luther King right. speaking and giving this speech about service and greatness over the truck ad, and it said, right. "50 years ago to the day, Martin Luther King gave this speech." In the speech, Mar I, I decided just a quick little Google search of the speech. He said, <laughs> "Quote: We are so often taken by advertisers, you know, those gentlemen of massive verbal persuasion, and they have a way of saying things to you that kind of gets you into buying in order to." be a man of distinction, you must drink this whiskey. In order to make the neighbors envious, you must drive this type of car. <laughs> <laughs> they left that part out. Well. <laughs> they, they didn't quite that part. He probably goes on to talk about Dodge itself. Uh, but but it's kind of like, you know, the, it's Martin Luther King. He's a, a serious, important guy. You know, it's like it's just a truck. Mm -hmm. And then did you see the Jeep truck? Yes. That? I mean, that was the kind of answer. I, 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 if I'm stepping on, my, on your material, go ahead, you do it. But no, I, no. The, no. The, there, were, there were answers to these ads. I mean, some of them yeah. absolutely nailed it, and some of them were just Martin Luther King. They were trying a little too hard. Where, you know, Jeep climbing up rocks or something. Yeah. You clearly understand what this product is. And I think it's because, I think the, the takeaway here is that the people who are creating the culture, the ad makers in Hollywood and in New York, they're still lagging behind the American people. Mm. They still don't quite get it. They're very blunt instruments. It's it still vaguely smacks of, hey, fellow kids, what are y'all doing? You know, how, you know, <laughs> trying to be part of them. But it's much better than it was last year. They yep. are catching up because we're just talking about these slacktivist or political ads. The majority of them were just kind of funny. They were just regular ads yep. with actors making funny faces and Morgan Freeman rapping or whatever. Yeah, and that, that, that a is one. a vast, vast improvement. And you'll be shocked to hear me say this. We do have to give credit to Donald Trump for uh, this phenomenon. There's just no question. I mean, for, first of all, there was, there was a lot of postmodern ads in the, the Tide ad, which was my favorite ad of the thing. I, I really like that where they would just have a different, they would <laughs> pretend it was a different ad, and then they would say, oh, but look how clean everybody's shirt is. It's a Tide ad, right. really, you know? And, and that was very postmodern. The Jeep thing was very postmodern because they talked about manifesto ads, which the Dodge truck ad was, and they said, this is our manifesto. Just drive He's that climbing up a mountain. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that will do it. But, but yes, you know, even the movies with The Rock, he's got, obviously he's playing a veteran, he's missing a leg, and he's, got, he's going out to save his family. What would you die for? I'd die for my family. You know, and the, uh, the Mission Impossible one was unpolitical, looked like a really fun action movie. But it's just as if somebody, you know, my friend Glenn Reynolds, who's the instapundit, or as we call him, the blog father, because he was the great uh, leading, <laughs> leading blogger of, of his day, and uh, he, he always says, go woke, go broke. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that somewhere along the line, some of these guys started to scratch their head and say, oh, they don't like us when, they, when we hate their God and their country, you know? Maybe if we want to sell them beer, we should be nice to them. I mean, because that's it, you know? We, we have been, we've been standing them up, and I think we should keep doing it, and I think Trump has been a cheerleader for that. And I think they're getting, learning their lesson. Keep the pressure on. Could you imagine if, if we had been talking a year ago and all the main stories that dominate are the players kneeling for the national anthem and Colin Kaepernick and this and that, and we have to change team names yeah. and anti-Trump and all of that. 
And then what happened? People stopped watching and the ratings plummeted and people are cutting their cords to basic cable yep. and ESPN has totally lost its mind. Sports Illustrated, people are canceling their subscriptions and believe it or not, we were able to get something out of it. The culture is swinging a little bit back toward reason and not hating the country and not hating our fellow countrymen. And this is not the time to go weak. This is not the time to say That's right. how That's wonderful. Right. We have to stand up. We have to support the cultural agenda that the wrecking ball of a cultural warrior, Donald Trump, is leading the charge it, to fight. It really is amazing. It is like the people, you know, it's, it's like with the immigration thing. The people aren't saying no immigration. They're saying, you know, if you bring 15,000 people into my town with 3,000 people, we can't assimilate them. The people know this stuff. They have a complete accurate sense of it. They know when there's been too much. And it's just these guys, they will not listen. But hopefully, uh, the thing that would make them listen more than anything, I was thinking this as I'm watching this, is if, if Trump actually wins the midterm, or he doesn't lose the House in the midterms, I think that that would wake these clowns up. I think finally they would start to say, oh, oh, I get it. You know, the people don't want this. We're not serving, we're not doing our jobs. You know? All of historical precedent would suggest that Trump is going to lose the midterm, that we'll lose the House or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And yet, those models only work in <laughs> normal years, and this is not a normal year. It's if, true. If yeah. the Republicans held the House in the midterm, the, that that is the mandate. That it's is the, the mandate that mention. we have that yeah. we've rightly been claiming since November 2016. But that is a clear mandate that the yeah. American people are they're concerned about basic things, about the economy, about tax reform, about deregulation. But all of that is just accounting because politics is downstream of culture. Yep. And Americans have had enough with a decayed culture that hates them, and they're finally fighting back. It's great. It is, it is great to see. What's on the Michael Knowles show? Today we are talking about, we don't want to get too controversial today. No, no. So we're just talking to a Catholic priest about gay marriage. <laughs> we're just talking about... Oh, that, that's, that's interesting. That'll be, that'll be really interesting. He is, he is holding the Catholic line. He is. He, he hasn't become a heretic yet. He yeah. hasn't been excommunicated yet. <laughs> Wait until okay. he's on my show, though. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but it is a question that for some reason, this is the question that preoccupies everybody's mind for the last 10 years, even yeah. though it affects a relatively small like number of people. I know. I know. And yeah. we will debate whether or not conservatives should get on the gay marriage train or whether there is some other path that we can follow in, in our culture. That's, that sounds great. Even I might watch. Nah, no, I'm <laughs> no, no I'm way. Joking. Not a chance. <laughs> All right, I'll see you. Thanks a lot, Noel. So I appreciate it. Hey, you know, speaking of Knowles, I have to talk about this story uh, in, from Manchester, England, where some clown in the Manchester Art Museum there wanted to take this painting down, and they actually got it taken down. Do we have the, the image of this painting? This is Hylas and the Nymphs. It's, a, it's one of my favorite uh, paintings. It's from the Pre-Raphaelites. I think his name was uh, John Waterson. Is it Waterstone? Is that his name? And... Uh, yeah, Waterhouse. Waterhouse, sorry, John Waterhouse. The Pre-Raphaelites are some of my favorite painters because what they did was they saw um, abstraction and uh, impressionism coming and they said, no, no, let's go back to Raphael, let's go back to Pre-Raphael. And they started to paint these very, very beautiful, very lush images of mythology and uh, religion. And they were just, they're really uh, just spectacular. And this one is Hylas and the Nymphs. Uh, Hylas was actually Hercules's uh, toy boy. Uh, he was supposed to be this very beautiful youth and you know what the Greeks are like. And uh, <laughs> so, they, so they were together and he went into the woods and the nymphs, beautiful nymphs, you see them coming out of the uh, water. Uh, they drew him into the water and he drowned. And um, 
a lot of people, not a lot of people, several people have asked me whether this was the inspiration for the scene in Another Kingdom uh, starring Michael Knowles, where Austin uh, is, in fact, led off by nymphs, and he has a much different uh, <laughs> a much different experience with the nymphs. And the answer is yes, it is. This is what inspired that scene. Uh, it is a, a, a beautiful painting that's in my head a lot, like all of the pre-Raphaelites, and I did want to capture some of that pre-Raphaelite uh, beauty of mythology and everything. So if you are listening to Another Kingdom and you haven't come up to that scene yet, or you remember Remember the scene where Austin uh, meets the nymphs in the wood? That This is, in fact, the inspiration for it. At least, let's say it was what was in my mind as I was describing uh, the scene. Didn't work out so well for Hylas, works out great for Austin, so you can listen to another kingdom. All right, it is time for our crappy culture. So, a while back, I was talking about the devil. It wasn't that long ago. I did an opening about the devil, and I talked about the fact that I've come to believe that I didn't always believe in the devil, even when I, after I had become baptized. Uh, but slowly, over time, I began to see that it just made a lot of sense that there was, in fact, a conscious force in the world uh, that tries to draw you away from God. It tries to draw you into that emptiness uh, that is away from God. And I, I, you know, when you once you start to notice it, you can notice thoughts in your head that are just like an against everything that's good for you, everything that you are, everything that you believe in, everything that you want, and these thoughts come in that sort of entice you away. And one of the main ways this happens, I've always noticed, is through rationalization. If you do something wrong, and you say, oh man, I just, I just made a moral error. I did something bad. I'm a human being. I hope God will forgive me. I'm going to go talk to the people I did it to, and that, I hope they forgive me. You're free and clear. You know, I mean, assuming you didn't kill anybody, assuming you didn't do anything that can never be uh, reworked, God may forgive you for those things, but sometimes people won't. But if you just made an error, you're not going to go down to the next error if you experience the pain and humiliation of admitting your guilt, because you're going to say, I don't want that to happen again, and you become a better person. If, if you cannot admit for various reasons, whether it's political reasons, whether it's because you support Donald Trump or you support Barack Obama, whatever it is, if you make a mistake, a moral mistake, and you cannot admit it, you begin to rationalize. And the process of rationalization is, hey, it wasn't that bad. In fact, it was good. It was a good thing. In fact, I'd do it again. In fact, I will do it again. And that is when the devil gets you. He gets you, you know, because once you start doing that rationalization thing, you start going down this road where the good becomes evil and the evil becomes good, and you, it goes on and on forever. There is a clip that was put out uh, of comedians at a pro-abortion fundraising rally, and this is Sarah Silverman and some other comedians. And Turn this off if you're going to be upset by ugliness, because it is truly ugly. I, I, I don't think there's, we've left any uh, obscenities in it, but the whole thing is an obscenity. Uh, the comedians, they're all female comedians, uh, trying to get donations for pro-abortion rally, including Sarah Silverman, and they're pretending to play charades, and then Sarah Silverman steps in with her comment. Here it is. You can't eat your fetus. Is a thing, and it's not. <laughs> and if anything has ever made me want to eat an aborted fetus, it's this law. 
So Shapiro always gives me a hard time because I feel sorry when I see this happen to people. I look at these people and I think, oh my God, you know, they have really, truly degraded themselves by following this path of rationalization, by saying, like, look, you know, I, I can understand why women want abortions. I can understand they get into terrible, terrible situations. I can understand how a small thing becomes such a huge thing as a human being, a small thing as a night of unprotected sex that went by in, you know, whatever, in a half an hour, and, and now you've got something for life. I understand it's a, it's a very terrible thing. That, but once you start to really think about it, once you start to really think that this is a human being, that this is a unique uh, piece of DNA, it's not your DNA, it's a whole new um, blueprint for a human being and very, very quickly becomes a human being. And you know, once you start to say that, you have to say, you know, this is just not the solution. This is not the solution. But if you don't do that, you become what those people are. You just become de a degraded human being. You're, you know, if you're sitting out there making jokes about eating unborn babies, you know, you have become degraded. It's not that funny. It's not funny at all, really. But it's so ugly. And that to see that coming out, I, I feel for people like that because, you know, I, I have true tr uh, faith that every one of those babies uh, who doesn't make it to birth is going to be taken care of and come before God. But I also have faith that these people are going to come before God, and I don't want to be there. All right, tomorrow we have Howard Kurtz. He's a guy I really admire. He was one of the first people to come out with uh, a book about the bias in the press. It cost him. Uh, he's now a, uh, a commentator on Fox News, and he has a new book called Media Madness. And we will talk to him about that, and then I take off for the prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Be with us again tomorrow. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And their animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.